Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast. As always, I'm joined by Andres Velasco. Uh, Sam could not be here on the podcast. He actually uh, ran out into the middle of the street the second the final whistle blew after the match today. So, uh, yeah, best <laughs> best wishes to Sam. We hope that he's okay. He, uh, he just couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take the pain. And, uh, yeah, being a supporter of this football club is definitely has definitely taken a toll on him. So, um, Andres, besides <laughs> the game, all things aside, um, I'm only joking, guys. Sam's in law school right now. I think he's still on campus doing some work. But, yeah, the um, real world cut up with him. He, he is very sad about the game. And he did say that if there's a podcast to miss, he's glad it's this one. But... <laughs> metaphorically speaking he definitely jumped in front of a moving truck yeah i mean i mean don't we all kind of wish that we did that today oh man yeah wish uh my fifa skills could translate into <laughs> real chelsea right now i guess i mean i i guess if we're gonna look at the silver lining of things um there is a silver lining with this match in particular and actually any match that chelsea loses because after every match i go and i post you know uh, who, Everybody comment or uh, subtweet us like what, what you want to talk about or what you want us to talk about. Questions, comments, whatever. And uh, and usually when we don't play well, the script kind of writes itself. So that's always nice. Um, <laughs> we had a bunch of questions today. So just similar to last week because last week was also a disaster class. Um, we're going to do the same thing this week. We're going to answer uh, basically everyone's Twitter question, any, every, anyone and everyone that reached out to us. Um, we are in a state of shock just like you guys are, but at the same time, are we really that shocked? Are we really that surprised? So, I mean, I mean, I guess that's a good place to start, Andre. So what's your general feeling on the, on the result in general? Were you really expecting something? No, no. As much as I want to tell myself that, you know, we were going to respond, I, I didn't. I wasn't surprised. I was frustrated with the starting 11 today, but I wasn't surprised by it. It's, uh, I don't know, is it old dog, can't learn new tricks? I don't know what the saying is here in America, but it's something along those lines. You you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, okay, I, I was trying to be a little bit optimistic. My brother's a Man United fan, and he was texting me all week talking shit. And, uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to kick your ass on, on Monday. You know, we're going to move on, blah, blah, blah. Manchester's red, all this bullshit. And I just kind of looked at him, and I was like, you know what? You're probably right. I'm not gonna argue with. I'm, I'm gonna pick and choose my battles this time around, just because. I mean, I mean, our form in the last week wasn't great. I mean, I guess this is a good place to start talking about the Mamo match. Um, I know we're not gonna get too in depth on it, but again, you know, I wasn't expecting much from that match either. I was expecting us to win the game the exact same way in which we did win it, where it just came down to you know two moments of, you know, uh. uh of of skill that wound up winning us the game um and and, and i don't think we won that game because we were much better than malmo um but i think we won that game just because we were better individually and, and we have better players sometimes <laughs> the players are just so good that you know other teams can't touch them and i think that's kind of what happened with malmo even though they did nick a goal late in the game so i mean what was your thought your, your thoughts on the game and, and the performance in general did you get that did you get that general sense of Okay, a win is a win, but this is underwhelming. It was extremely underwhelming, that's for sure. Uh, the scary part was that we were lucky not to get a tie at the end of this one. It, it could have ended 2-2 the way Mamo played the very end of the game. 
Um, our goals weren't anything to, I mean, at least the Barkley goal wasn't something you go home and, and brag about. And the one thing that really bugged me, and I'm a fool for believing this, was that Cho not really getting many minutes here made me believe and hope and dream that he was going to get to play today. But today, Monday. So that's uh, shame on me. Shame on sorry for Thursday. Fool me once, shame on you or whatever. Shame me, fool, fool me twice, shame on me. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm beyond myself about the fact that I thought that something would be different in terms of the selection for today. Yeah, um, I mean, let's just get into today's match in general because I I, I share the same feeling with you in, in terms of Kalamata Dodoya. When I saw that he wasn't starting that match, I'm like, wow, sorry, he's really going to shake things up against United and just kind of throw him a curveball. But um, so, I mean, let's just let's just get into this Man United match and uh, get it out of the way so we could get to the Twitter questions. Um, I'm going to go through the lineups really quick just to remind everybody of the lineup that uh, – that made us feel this way. So we, were, we had Kepa in goal, um, Marcus Alonso on the left, uh, Dave on the right in the back line, of course, uh, David Luiz and Rudiger uh, playing in the middle. We had Jorginho playing the Regista role once again. Nothing new there. Uh, Conte and Kovacic playing just ahead of him. Hazard and Pedro on the flanks. And Iguain playing the number nine. So um, we know our tactics. We know we played a 4-3-3, the same exact system the same exact formation the same exact style that we've been playing all season that hasn't been working so andres why don't you talk about what man united did uh to sort of nullify sorry ball yeah um just like our tactics have become predictable the top six's tactics against us also have become predictable um they played the four three one two with that midfield diamond just like arsenal and tottenham have deployed against us um, in my initial prediction, I thought Pogba would be that attacking midfielder, but it was actually Mata this time. They played very wide forwards up front. Um, the, mid, the attacking midfielder shadowing Jorginho. And, you know, shocker, sorry, did not fully adjust to this, which is it really a shocker anymore. And while it worked at the beginning, because I feel like the players did come out and have a fighting spirit, once United got that lead, we played right into their hands and, and that that four three one two did its job and and yeah, let's let's just kind of talk about those man United goals. Oh God, do we really have to? Yeah, I mean we, we got to. We gotta yeah. let's just, okay, let's just okay. breeze through it. Okay, okay. So uh the first goal, and and this is from what I saw. So the ball gets played out wide on the right hand side of our of of our defense. So Man United's left hand side. A uh, little bit of interplay between Lukaku, Mata. Ball eventually finds Paul Pogba in a wide position, about let's say 45 to 50 yards away from our goal. Clipped ball over the top, um, and and our left sided, our whole left side of def- uh, of defense falls asleep on Herrera's run, and it's basically a tap in from there. I mean, Herrera was in a position where if he got anything on the ball, it was basically going to go in. My brother texted me right away, and he's like, oh, the keeper should have saved that. No, there's no way – like – and and this is – I have so much sympathy for Keppa, and I was going to tweet this during the game, but I didn't know if I was going to get backlash on it or not. And I just I, – I wasn't even in the mood to like look at my phone or even open up Twitter because I know it's just a bottomless pit of hatred and sorrow and <laughs> sadness. But – um. I feel bad for Keppa, especially in this team. And I mean we go to the second goal. We lose possession in the midfield. Nobody tracks the runner out wide uh, out wide on the left uh, on Man United's right. Um, Alonso doesn't 
it, technically it was Alonzo that didn't track that runner. David Luiz got dragged out wide, um, didn't rotate in time. And basically, I think it was Rashford was the one that played the cross in. But the point is, he had all the time in the world to play the perfect cross. Now, this is where I feel bad for Kepa. I've been seeing a lot of stats about how many shots uh, on goal he's conceded and how many goals he's conceded compared to, compared to those shots on goal. And the numbers are quite alarming. And for me, they don't reflect Kepa's ability. I think the defense and the midfield... Um, are just not protecting him. I think it's that simple. I think the chances that we're allowing opponents to get in front of our goal are way too easy. Yes, he could rewind a week ago. Should he have gotten something on the? Uh, should he? Should he have gotten on the end of a good Dewan shot? Yeah, he probably should. But what about the other five goals? Was there anything he could have done about those? Or what about today? Was there anything he could have about, done about those two goals today? The point is, when you're a goalkeeper, something a lot of people don't understand. And I'm not a goalkeeper, but I, I do understand this to a sense. It's it, it's a confidence position. I mean, you're out there by yourself, right? I understand that soccer is a team sport, but being a goalkeeper is very similar to being like a MMA fighter or, or being an athlete in a solo sport where you just kind of got to kind of have this ego and you got to you got to rile yourself up. You know what I mean? You got to get into the match yourself. You don't really have teammates to support you. Um, I, obviously you have your front line in your midfield or whatever 10 players are playing in front of you, but when they stop doing their job, you're basically left on an island to die, right? And that's exactly what happened with Kepa in the last few weeks. I feel really, really bad for him, man. I mean, it's just, it's sad. The chances he's conceding, there's nothing he could really do. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, we could talk about the defending, I saw Alonzo at fault for both of the goals. I did give him the benefit of the doubt for the first one because after rewatching it, our midfield wasn't tracking back, and yep. Herrera's run came from the left side of that midfield. And if there's no midfielders there, Hazard should probably be the one tracking him back. Now, I'm not going to blame Hazard for not sprinting 85 yards back to his own goal. I understand that him and Higuain, you know, they get the license to to to, to stay forward and and not really track back, but. Good God! I mean, that, that that's yeah. poor defending, right? I definitely, and I think that the blame is definitely the three players that are supposed to be covering the back line. I think Jorginho and Kovacic specifically are the guys that are supposed to be in front of Alonso, and in in, def, in defense of Kepa. By the way, the cross was from Pogba. Um, he had all the time in the world, and when you let a world class player like him have that much time to to cross, he's gonna put it where he wants. In to. that kind of form, too. Yeah, and so. In defense of Kepa, the guy is focused on the wide player in this in this situation, Pogba, to make sure that he's not gifting the front post. And then this pl- ball is played across his goal to his back post. His he has to move all the way to the left, and then before once he finally gets there, he is two yards away from a wide open Ander Herrera, who, like you said, just had to get his head on it and make sure he didn't hit the ball up, and that ball was going in. So, yeah, who probably wasn't even in his line of sight until the last minute because I mean, it was a late run. Exactly. That that's the thing. Like all the attention was on that side, which it should have been. And so you can put anybody in there and it most like 90% of the time, that's a goal. Like if he gets a save, you're not saying, Oh, that's a world-class save. You're like, damn, he got lucky to stop that. So that's, that's how I feel on that goal. I as I agree. I definitely my instinct was to blame Alonso because I just don't rate his defensive skills. But 
he was marking Rashford between David Luiz and himself. And then last second, he realized that Herrera was back there. So lack of communication from the midfield if they couldn't get back in time to let Alonso know he had a man back there. I mean, we've seen the stubbornness of of Sari in, in, in press conferences and within his team selection. I mean, he's made it very, very clear to everybody that he's not going to deviate from his plan until he perfects his plan. Um, so, I mean, it's funny because Sam's not here and Sam, and, and Sam, has, Sam has been the one that's been skeptical of Sari, right? Like, I, I, Sam's the one that hasn't been sold on, uh, on his ideas yet. And me and you, I wouldn't say that necessarily that we're sold, but we sort of understood where he was coming from. And right. we come to his defense time and time again. But this time, it's it has to be too hard to back him, right? I mean, from what I'm seeing, the system needs a change. It's not working. And that change could be something as simple as dropping Conte back and playing with two sixes and a classic number 10. It could be something as simple as, you know, uh, telling – even even if he told N'Golo Conte starting position to start 10 yards back, t- uh, 10 yards just, – just sit back a little bit. Let's absorb pressure. We'll calm the game down, and then we'll go and we'll build from there. It 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 just seems baffling to me that there's no thought in Plan B. There's no okay. Well, what if we go two goals down and there's 15 minutes left, and we need a and we need to nick a result here. What's Plan B? I mean, it came to the point today where Zapacosa was coming on late in the match, and we have guys like Callum Hudson-Odoi and Olivier Giroud on the bench. Throw on another striker. Okay, if you don't like Olivier Giroud, if he's not doing what you want him to do, throw on Callum Hudson-Odoi. Change the system. Change the plan. I mean, if something is not working, you have to make it work eventually. So I I can't come to his defense this time. I mean, enough is enough. And it's gotten to the point where I have backed him over and over, and I have been proven wrong every single time. And I'm making myself look like a fool because I'm putting myself out there as like, yo, j- guys, just wait. When this comes off, it's going to look nice. But now I'm getting to the point where I don't even think it's going to come off anymore. So, Andres, I mean, where do you stand on that? Do you back him? Oh, man. Uh, you know, you're talking about the changes he could make. And and one change that's even simpler than than what you were talking about. Right now, he wants to play his way where we're pressing high and and – you know, we're winning the ball in the final third and all that. But, you know, the, the the biggest game that we did win this year is where we kind of absorbed, like you said, City's attacks. And we worked when what we did that time is when instead of trying to operate in their final third and go from there, which is honestly our worst third in the pitch. We started by absorbing their attack, by drawing them in and using that sorry like possession to work past them and have the counterattack portion come in, which is what Chelsea's DNA the past 10 years has, has been. So just making a change like that, like if the high press isn't working, why put yourself in a position where you do try the high press, the other team beats it. And then Jorginho's left stranded to pretty much get burned every time. And we play into the hands of the opposition and then you lead, let the media go back to the whole con, why isn't Conte playing DM? Jorginho will never play Regista. Like, there's there's solutions out there, but you're right. It's gotten to the point where, or I don't know what what to do because it's not even just pregame. It's during the game. You mentioned it. Our third sub was 
Dave off for Zappa Costa. Like, all you had to see, see was Cho's death glare after that sub, and that's the perfect representation of what Chelsea fans felt that moment. It was just like, really? Really? That's what's going to inspire us to try to fight for a result with 10 minutes Bring left? Bring on a guy that's had five appearances all season. <laughs> a defender. A, a, yeah. a defender. And it's not like it's like a Marcelo-style defender where the dude is just marauding forward and plays a perfect cross. It's just a B-team defender. That's, that's all that was. I, I, uh, I The in-game management today was really what disappointed me the most. But, yeah, I, I think I can't. I can't back his plan A anymore because it's costing us in the short term getting the Champions League and it's costing himself the ability to implement plan A in the long run. I mean, if you see a manager going out and in Sari's position specifically going out and not making the necessary changes or the necessary adjustments in game before matches, not preparing properly for matches, pretty much not even tweaking our, our, our playing style uh, based on the opponent we're playing. If you're the board, whether or not you're footballing people, because we all know our opinion on the board, um, what do you do? I mean, it, it does kind of tie in with some of the questions we have, but if you're in the board's position and you're seeing this and you really do want to give him time, whether or not you've, you know, you've made it clear to the fans and whoever – if you do want to keep him long term, I mean, these are things that you have to look at surely, right? What right. players is he improving? Who's he getting the most out of? Where are we getting production? Where are we not getting production? Now, for most managers, when things aren't working, what's the first instinct? Let's swap the personnel. Maybe this group of players just isn't up for it today. So let me bring in a new face or two. Let's see if that changes things. Okay, that doesn't work. Now we're talking about systems, you know, but, but we haven't seen that. We haven't seen any of that. We've been playing this stupid 4-3-3 all match long. And this is not a knock on the 4-3-3 because when it works, it, it, I mean, it's great. But the way we play it, it just seems like the players aren't allowed to have their own identity and their own creativity besides Eden Hazard in that, in that final third. Everyone else just seems sort of robotic in their movements. I mean, one of our midfielders gets the ball about 20 to 25 yards out from goal. You know, if it's Ross Barkley, he's smacking it into the, you know, into the back of, of of an opposing defender or clipping it 30 yards above the top crossbar. But then if it's guys like Conte or Jorginho or especially Kovacic, who was guilty of it today, I mean, we're just playing the ball sideways. So the second one of our midfielders get the ball 20, 25 yards, yards out from goal, we become predictable. Teams know exactly what we're going to do. And there was one point in this game where Man United actually dropped back and allowed us to have possession in the middle third of the pitch for about a good, I would say, almost 90, 90 seconds or so, um, where they just sat back and they're like, you guys want the ball there? I mean, you're down 2-0. How come you're not attacking? This was in the second half. You're down 2-0. How come you're not attacking us? You know what? We're just going to sit back. We're going to let you play with the ball up there. You could take off as much time on the clock as you possibly want. And for me, that was the irritating part. Was One of the pundits said it at halftime. Uh, I was I, I was I was watching it on some illegal stream, but you know, just like everyone else in the U.S. But one of the pundits said at halftime, you know, having a playing style and an identity is great, right? But the problem is, if you're too wedded to your ideas, you often lose sight of the end game. So in this game, United sat back, they hit us on the counter, and they nicked two goals. Fair play to them. 
they were going to allow us to have all the possession in the world. So we didn't really have to worry about establishing a rhythm in possession. I think that's fair to say. But yet, whenever we nicked the ball off of United and had the chance to play direct, we played the first the first pass we would play would go backwards or sideways. And for me, that's the irritating part. Sometimes you need to nick possession and take chances. And I feel like guys like Cesc Fabregas would have done that today where they come in, we nick possession in the midfield, and they clip a ball 25, 30 yards over the heads of the defender and, and, and give Iguain a shot, you know? Give him, give, him, give him a 30% chance of getting onto the end of it even compared to what we saw today where it was much of the same from Iguain where he looks like his movement's great, he looks lively, he looks hungry, but he's just not getting the service. So it's, it's frustrating, man. It, it really is. I, I, know I, I know I go on these rants and... But 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 it's just gotten to the point where, as a Chelsea fan, I really don't know what to think anymore. And Andres, I don't know if you share that, you know, that same feeling. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a, I'm in a pretty big state of confusion. But yeah, that there's not much more to say about this game. Yeah, I, we should just get right into the Twitter questions then. Let's do it. Um, so the first one comes from, actually, a new Roman's Empire Ultra. Uh, Mr. Velasco, your pops. So this is always cool. <laughs> He's back. Um, so so since your dad asked this question, I'm, I'm going to let you take it. And since I talked for the last five minutes anyways, people are probably tired of hearing my voice. So the question was, who should pay for this performance and how? Okay. So by the way, thanks, Dad, for supporting the pod. Always appreciate it. But last week, I, you, all of us defended sorry, and we – found blame everywhere else except for him but this week i can't continue to do that like we can't be doing that after weeks on end and do the same thing over and over again because if i keep doing that the same way why should i expect things to go any differently that's kind of insane right like it's a definition of insane so yeah that when i say that that is exactly a jab at sorry because he is to blame here Uh, i think that at the beginning the players actually did try the best of their capabilities but I think that the players that were selected, the substitutions and the lack of in-game changes was cost what costed us today. And all those things I mentioned are not on the board. Like that's that's all those are all problems for the today. And that's on sorry. Like you pl- selected the exact same players that got bashed at City. You made the exact same substitutions that got bashed at City. And when you face the four three one two, which has been your kryptonite all season to these bigger sides you didn't do anything different so i yeah the blame is on sorry and how he'll repay he'll pay for this well his, his leash is pretty short and we know chelsea's track record he I, I really don't know how many more days he's got left so in my book as much as i don't want it to be this way i, I feel like the axe is about to swing so this next question um is from at angry chelsea fan and this is actually shots fired to me. So uh, <laughs> he asks, is Zach, does Zach still think that Jorginho is the Italian Messi? Guy's a waste of space in the midfield. <laughs> One of the many players today that don't deserve to be in the starting 11 of a club this size. So um, fair play, angry Chelsea fan. I, and, and, and for everyone that's listening, this isn't like a like a Twitter beef that I have with him. Like this is just banter. Like, like he's, a, he's a good guy. We always interact on the regular so you know it's not anything out of the ordinary and plus his twitter handles angry chelsea fans so if he didn't have an attitude it would kind of be a you know a, a 
a it, misnomer. It, exactly. Um, but anyways, I've never uh, gone out and, and, and publicly bashed Jorginho. So, I mean, fair play to the question, I guess. But at the same time, I've always come to his defense because he's a guy who's basically being used as a martyr um, <laughs> on the pitch, right? <laughs> Sorry brought him in. Um, that was his one request when, when he got hired was bring Jorginho with me. Let's make it happen. He's my guy. And he's being forced to play in a team and in a system and with players that don't suit the system. Um, and as a result, he's being exposed. Do I think Jorginho's a crap footballer? Fuck no. I think he's a great footballer. I think on any, I, I think on, I, w- I don't want to say any other team, but I think he would, uh, slot into a lot of the top sides in Europe. Um, I, I do think he could cut it at Chelsea. But under this system, at this point in time, under this manager, he's he hasn't really been serving a purpose, has he? And that goes down to the players that he has around him, the lack of cohesiveness within the squad, the lack of cohesiveness on the pitch. I mean, there there's just a plethora of reasons why it's not working out for him. But he is not a crap player. I, I don't think he's the Italian Messi, but I do think that we could get some sort of production out of him. Now, the, the thing with Jorginho is that he's not just he, he's not getting protected. And like I said, I mean, he is getting exposed in the midfield. N'Golo Conte is, is is playing a high press. So when they break through that press, who's really there to help Jorginho cover? I mean, we saw today Kovacic was awful at tracking back defensively today um and and usually that's not something that you would uh make Kovacic's name synonymous with because he's usually great at tracking back but today Jorginho just got exposed and and it reminded me a lot of the Tottenham game where we were seeing a lot of 1v1 with Jorginho and Man City did the same exact thing now does he need help yes could he provide the team uh with you know with the tempo with 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 the passes, with the positioning that we all know he's good at? Yes, of course he can. But he needs someone to play next to right now. He cannot play back there by himself. So, yeah, I mean, shout out to Angry Chelsea fan. Thanks for asking the question. But, man, if you ask me right now, Andres, and I know we're going to get onto this soon, but if you ask me right now to name our best 11, Jorginho's probably not in it. Um, and, and, and I only say that because we're not playing a four, three, three in my best 11, (laughs) but, but we do have another question for that later. I I want, I do want to get onto the next one and and you could take this one or, uh, or actually I'll I'll, I'll ask you first. So, so Luke Clapham, Luke Clapham asked and Luke, I hope I'm saying your last name, right? He says, sorry, should be sacked. And with the sack, who should replace him? So Zach, what do you think? Let's say the sacking comes today. We're mid midway through the season. We have Man City Sunday. We're still in the Europa League, and we are one point off of United in the league. Um. Well, there's the whole Zola debate, and as much as I love Zola, he's a club legend, one of the greatest that ever put on a shirt. I don't think he's the right man for the job. I, for me personally, I really haven't seen Zola's influence in the team, um, since since he came into into uh into the assistant role. So, I mean, if I had to bring someone back in a perfect world, it's Steve Holland, isn't it? But, I mean, I, I'm daydreaming. But, yeah, I mean, all the other names that are linked with us, 
I, I the Zidane is just not it's not gonna happen. It's never gonna happen, guys. Get it out of your heads. The reason why he left Real Madrid is because he had to rebuild that team. He doesn't want to put up with rebuilding a team. Um. But yeah, I mean, I the only logical person I could think of would be Steve Holland, and I think it's logical because I think Steve will know that he's here on a temporary basis. Um, but would he leave that England post? I mean, he's in a pretty good spot right now. So I don't know, Andre. So what do you think? Yeah, the only the the biggest thing I I have right now is I don't want to see Mourinho back. Because oh that's, God no yeah yeah I I Mourinho thank you like you did great both times whatever but but he shouldn't be coming back that's taking five steps back um and then people are saying oh we'll bring Conte back it's like dude Conte is trying to sue the club for you know mishandling his firing and not paying him like that is that is the definition of toxic to what is already considered a very toxic environment and earlier today I was kind of joking. And I made this thread on Twitter about having JT come back as the caretaker. Mm. And I, I get it. People are always like, oh, well, he doesn't have the experience. Like, he's never done this. And I think that kind of actually plays into my argument a little bit. Because the other option that people are saying is, oh, well, Lampard, he's doing good things at Derby. And it's... And, the, and because they're in two different positions, I think that's why JT should be the better option. Lampard is al- already trying to – he's already a, a manager. Like, he is the man to bring this team up from the, the championship to the EPL. He is trying to build something, a structure, an identity for himself as a manager. While JT right now is just an assistant at Aston Villa. And my whole thing is that if we bring him in as a caretaker – he fully knows that he's not managing to become the Chelsea manager for the long run in that very moment. But instead I see this as a shrewd signing because he could be what Steve Holland was for us in 2010 in the he, 2010s. He could, he could be what Solskjaer is to Man United. I mean, he, 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 right. he could uh, just install that confidence in, in the players. Like, Oh shit. Like, 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 cause, cause JT is just the leader. And I feel like that's all this team – I mean, we have talent. To say we don't have talent is ridiculous. So maybe bringing someone in that could just rally the troops and go, guys, listen, roll up your shirt sleeves, and even if we have to limp into the Champions League next year, we're going to do it. And I feel right. like JT I feel like JT could have that effect. And, and exactly. So, like, for one, JT has played with most of these players before. Like, he was here when Conte won the league. So he knows – these players, so in theory, he should know how to make them succeed. You mentioned it, like in terms of leadership, like are you kidding me? What better guy to to kind of scream at these guys to get them to freaking bust their ass and really show like grit than the guy that was known for just that? And again, in the summer, great, he moves on. And and I'm not asking JT to revolutionize the game here at Chelsea. Like I'm more than happy with him bringing back the four-two-three-one having a solid defense and just bringing energy, like just bringing energy to the side. Like, and again, people with, with managers that are trying to make changes, people say, Oh, you know, he has to think about egos and, and how he manages the locker room. It's like, listen, those egos will just have to bow down to the fact that this is JT. And if there's somebody that cares about the club and what's best for the club, it's him. So Pedro, William, if you get benched for Cho by JT, good luck fighting that with the board, because again, his job would be just so short term that 
your long term with Chelsea means nothing to him. And so I, best I case, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know about JT coming in in the short term, though. See, that's the thing. If, if we were going to bring JT back, I'd want it to be in the long term. I'd want him to have some sort of expansive role within the club. Oh, As opposed right, to just right. like, here, keep us afloat for this half of the season and then we'll see what happens. Well, and that's why I think that in this case, his transition would be to that Steve Holland role where he gets to become the number two. Yeah. And and he has a role within the club in the long term, but but he's there more as an advisor and consultant to whoever that manager is. Because again, I, I don't think that there is... In my head right now, there's not that manager that can come in, step in right now, who will be happy with the caretaker role. Everyone that wants to come in is probably going to want to to be given a three-year contract, and here's what I want, and will have their demands. And, and unfortunately, midway through the season, that doesn't happen very often. Like, Liverpool got lucky with Klopp. Like, that's the one time I feel like I've seen that succeed, aside from the, the crazy Zidane at Real Madrid Seen, uh, seen what succeed though like a manager coming in and having time to, to, to a manager build? a team going for their dream manager midway through the season oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like I, right I, now i thought you were talking solution. about like time under oh the team. no 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 yeah, yeah. i mean i mean that the fact that we are in february now and we have you're to not going to get your dream target potentially. right yeah. so that's why i think jt could be that guy because best case we somehow qualify for the champions league whether that's fourth place and or, or Europa League. And in the summer, we bring that manager with JT as number two or worst case, JT doesn't get it. He stays in as number two and he can do again what Steve Holland did, which is kind of mend the waters, explain what it's like, kind of be that mediator between player and manager and board. So call me crazy, but I, I just don't know what the alternative is or what is a realistic alternative. Yeah, at this point, I mean, everything just seems so unclear. But, I mean, what's new? This is Chelsea after all, right? <laughs> right. Um, Roman's Empire, uh, what, what did he call us earlier this week? Uh, he uh, No, he created a, a hashtag for himself, hashtag REP Ultra. There we go. So REP Ultra himself. Uh, this is Ron. Uh, he, he tweeted us. He said, I doubt anyone would make a difference with this current group of players. They should just play all the kids for the next few games and see what happens. Could not be any worse. Now, I know it's not a question, but I wanted to include it in our script because, I mean, this is this is a legitimate argument that people are having on Twitter right now, and it's and it's something that's that fans are talking about all over the world. And I see the logic in here, um, but at the same time, Andres, you said it today. We didn't really see the players not trying per se. Mm-hmm. I I think we just saw square pegs and round holes for the what fiftieth game in a row now, um, but you know it's it is an interesting shout because you do have players in there that are hungry that are full of energy, um, and that do eventually need to get the playing time anyway. So I mean if you're looking at our season and if we are going to keep sorry on till the end of the season, let's be honest. We talked about it in our group chat earlier. There's a there was at least four or five players that were on the field today that are probably not going to be at Chelsea next year. And if it was up to me, they wouldn't be at Chelsea next year. And when those guys go, if you're not going to bring in the replacements, because that doesn't just doesn't seem realistic at this point, because Chelsea has their hands tied financially with the whole Abramovich thing and whatnot. 
you know, guys like Ampadu, guys like Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, Loftus-Cheek, he's not necessarily a youth player anymore, but he's a guy on the periphery that hasn't been getting playing time. Um, same thing with Ever uh, with Everton, with Emerson. Um, but, but but you could see a couple of those guys slot into the side and give us a little boost. So I, I do see the logic there, and it doesn't sound completely crazy. But you know what does sound crazy? is subbing in Zapacosta in the 82nd minute down 2 nothing at against United at home. In a cup match. Um, yeah. So. Ugh, fucking irritating. But uh, we do have another question from at Dylan Lee. Uh, at Dylan Lee 4. Yeah. Uh, so Andres, you could take this one. Because I, I do like this one. I do want to spend a little bit of time on it. So he asks. The whole che- with the whole Chelsea team available. What formation and what starting 11 do you play? So because at this point. I don't think that sorry ball is working. And unless we decide to use that 4-3-3 in a more defensive manner first, I think that the best 11 right now is a 4-2-3-1 where you have Kepa in goal, Emerson at, at left back. Um, it's, for me, it's kind of a coin toss between David Luiz and Rudiger. Then you have Andreas Christensen and Aspilicueta at right back. Then your two, your double pivot for me is Conte and Kovacic who can provide – a little bit better defensive cover while still pushing the envelope forward to the to the three attacking mids, which would be Hazard on the left, Loftus-Cheek down the middle, and Hudson-Odoi on the right with Iguain up top. And the reason why I have these kind of front four, for one, Hazard on the left is, is where Hazard needs to be. Uh, Cho has shown that he can work on the right and can play a mean cross. And Loftus-Cheek already is good at playing that advanced role and he just is so good when he can get himself into the box and makes those runs so i could see him and Iguain having a like being the what's the word the, the word i'm looking for kind of uh, improving the most by having the freedom to interchange spaces and then both run off of each other into the box so if sorry gets the axe and we're asked to to salvage the season i think this is our st- strongest 11 i think that off the bench you have Jorginho if you want to play against a team that's more defensive and you need to unlock them with these kind of crazy passes you got pedro and william as rotation options which is not bad Giroud, in case we're looking to play more directly in the last 10 minutes and you just need the aerial threat and then again alonso as a rotation option and ampadu as a rotation option for the center backs so that's kind of how i would play that if if the sorry experiment is is calling quit i do like that but but i i wouldn't necessarily run that traditional four two three one where we see like that flat three playing in front of the two holding mids i i, I what i would like to see is more of like a four four one one type of thing where you have hazard playing uh sort of as like a false nine or just off of Iguain, just maybe behind him um and then maybe you could put loftus cheek on the left cutting inside playing like this free roll um and then uh hudson adoy you pin him out on the right just ping crosses into the box hope that loftus cheek and and uh and and Iguain get on the end of him but yeah i mean my my 11 doesn't have Jorginho in it like i said earlier just like you um i have kovacic and conte i just think that's defensively solid but then again i mean we're two former center backs talking right um i'm sure the more uh i'm sure the more attacking minds would uh would opt to go with a more attacking formation. 
But hell, I mean, at this point, I'm even down to see the four four two man. <laughs> I, as long as I as long as I don't see Jorginho playing as a regista, I think I'm okay. And, and the crazy thing, and, and this might be an unpopular opinion for a lot of people, is that I don't necessarily want. I, I mean, it would be great to see Conte back playing in his defensive role. I mean, that's his best position. But I'm to, I'm not totally opposed to having Conte playing a little bit higher up, uh, because when it does come off. And when our press is working, he's usually the one that nicks those balls away. So, I mean, I, I think if we're chasing a game and we do need to employ a high press, I think Conte is is, is perfectly ideal for that situation. But, yeah, I mean, 4-2-3-1, let's bring it back. I, here's the thing. it's I said it last week. I said it this week. I, just, I, I feel like I sound like a broken record. If results aren't going your way and you just need to kind of stop the bleeding for the time being, what you have to do is just get really, really compact defensively be make yourself really difficult to break through and then you build from there but what what sorry's methods and what sorry's thoughts are is oh shit things aren't going our way that means teams are scoring more goals than us but if sorry's going out there and trying to be attacking and trying to play this expansive beautiful football it's not coming off we're not scoring goals so maybe taking a more pragmatic more pragmatic approach would work for us i feel like we're kind of like liverpool from two or three years ago when klopp first came in where they looked great when they were hitting teams on the counter, but once teams figured them out and started sitting in a little bit deeper, Liverpool found it hard to get results and they found it hard to hard to break through other teams because they didn't really have those technical players at the time in the midfield to just kind of like make those bursting runs through and and and, and move puzzle pieces around. And I feel like we're the same thing. We're very one dimensional. We don't have that midfielder. Yes, we have lots of cheek. But he hasn't been healthy for an extended period of time. We haven't seen him get a consistent run of games yet, which is crazy since it's already midway through February. Kovacic is a defensive mid. I'm sold on that. You know, I, I don't think he should be playing anywhere else but a defensive mid. We all know what Conte is. We all know what Jorginho is. And then Ross Barkley is just not good enough at this point. And even mm-hmm. Psalm said it in our group chat today, too. He's like, you know what? I'm going to get off the Barkley bus. <laughs> It, because Barkley was his boy when you know when the season first started and things were going great and now you know he's he's controlling balls with his shins and you know smacking them 30 yards above the top crossbar and just playing like absolute garbage. So um, yeah. the the next question we already we already covered half of this, but the, but the second half of this question is what caught my attention. So at Lalit Gupta, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, he said replacements for sorry, which we already talked about. And Eden Hazard. So let's talk about Eden Hazard. Um, we did buy Pulisic Jeez. in the summer yeah. or, or in the winter in January last month. Um, is that a is, is that a Hazard replacement at this point? <laughs> I I think he's more of a William Pedro replacement because technically he is a right winger. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's going to be hard, just based on where we're standing right now, to recruit somebody of that caliber. Uh, it, it all comes down to Champions League again. It, it, it was crazy how much more pull power that one competition can give you. And so at this point, I really don't know. I I, I don't really have an idea. Again, it's all going to come down to who Sari's long-term replacement is because you it, it all depends on how we want to play. Um, Eden likes to have the ball at his feet at the left wing. Um, obviously, if we are looking to kind of rebuild i say give it to to uh law and not lost his cheek to hudson adoy and use the money from hazard to cover up other bigger holes in the squad 
Um, you know, like a, maybe a left back and right back who can do work at both ends of the pitch. Um, maybe a striker because if Sari's gone, we really don't know what's going to happen with Iguain. Um, so yeah, another I'm, attacking I'm at midfield a, player. Right, I'm I'm at a, a bit of a loss at this point to be honest. And and in terms of a Sari replacement long term. I, I think we need a transitional kind of guy, not a guy that's going to implement a philosophy that's going to go for years. I saw uh, somebody on Twitter say that we need kind of what a, Ra- a Ranieri manager did for us before Mourinho came in and started the the great years of success. So somebody that can kind of build a, a foundation, not a, a finished product, but a foundation for a top manager or a manager that can build a philosophy in to, to kind of polish it and make it this machine that lasts for years to come. So just, to, just to play devil's advocate, expand on that. What do you mean by a foundation? Are you, because, because what I'm, what I'm understand what, <clears throat> excuse me, what I'm understanding from that is let's bring in a manager who will give limited funds to, he could bring in, you know, a, a couple players, a handful They'll come into this players that will that that will automatically you know be like first team quality players, right? Mm-hmm. Let's bring them in. We'll establish a culture. Yes, we'll yes we'll work on a system, but we'll do it little by little. I mean, is that is that what you mean? Yeah, something along those lines. Because again, if we don't have Champions League, forget recruiting the likes of uh, Coutinho or an Icardi or or a big name like that. That won't happen. That simply yeah. won't happen if we're in the Europa League. So again, someone that, and, and, and sadly, I don't think this will happen under current ownership just because it's never happened, but somebody that can pick certain talents that have these, you know, like, uh, like Drogba was an unknown, an unknown commodity. Like he came in from the French league and, and I know he was a Mourinho signing, but, but getting those kind of players in, um, who, who can build you like, a okay, we can make a push for top four. And then next thing you know, we like hit hinted into the top four. We're really playing over our our full capabilities right now, but we're there for at least a couple of years. Give me, and then give me a name. Who 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 would be able to do something like that? So you know, I know Tuchel right now is at PSG, so he'll never be an option. But you know Leonardo Jardim at Monaco. I know he had an awful, awful last season before he got rehired. But again, he had Bakayoko before Bakayoko was a commodity that people wanted to buy. And Bappe, mm. uh, Bernardo Silva. Um, you know uh, he was using Joao Moutinho, who people thought was done and dusted. Falcao. Falcao. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Benjamin Sidibe, Mendy. Ben Mendy. Benjamin Mendy. Like all these players who were like unknowns. And then Monaco came out of nowhere and beat PSG to the league title. And they were semifinalists in the Champions League. Like somebody that can build a team that has cohesion and unity. And then you have ones you kind of like, oh, man, kind of like what Liverpool kind of did under Klopp. Like you have all these little pieces, a couple of older guys who are just who can just do the role for now. And then out of nowhere, you've built this reputation of having a coach there for a bit. You 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 know that you're going to be playing a bit of offensive football with a little bit of a leaky defense. And the next thing you know, you're starting 11. All have played with each other for a bit. They're all signed on for long-term contracts. And all you're missing is like one superstar with who then with the right manager 
the right manager can pull that talent in. So that's I think, kind of what I I'm think saying. that's the key. Yeah, no, no, I th- I completely agree. I think that's the key. I think I think the key is getting a team and finding a manager first that's willing to build a team within you know like a one or two year period, maybe give them four windows tops, have someone come in and build the team up to a level where they're maybe one major signing away from turning heads, like Liverpool was with Van Dyke. I mean, they got Mo Salah, and Mo Salah w- w- was awesome last season. I mean, like, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, we're Chelsea fans, but, I mean, he had a great season. But Liverpool were still not in the title talks, were they? Because they didn't have a quality center back. The second they got Virgil van Dijk, that's when people started taking them seriously. But then they were able to build from there. Now we have our world-class defensive player. We have, I mean, we have, we have like, our defensive general of sorts. We have our we, we have our superstar attacker and Mo Salah and Sadio Mane's on the rise. Firmino, you know, you got guys like that. Now we're gonna reinforce that squad that's already that good, and we're gonna put people on the bench, and we're gonna put people that are gonna be understudies to whoever the starters are now to eventually take over. Guys like Fabinho, guys like Nabil uh, Nab- Nabil Keita, Nabi Keita. Um, who, who else did they bring in this off season? Allison, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's a huge one for them. Um, but and yeah, then I mean, you brought in an experienced player in Shakiri as a squad rotation player. Uh, for, yeah, which blows my mind how Liverpool were able to get away with that one for only twelve million. I mean, yeah. I mean, th- th- that has to be like one of the bargains of the summer, because what what will twelve million buy you right now? Danny Drinkwater with one leg, yeah, not even, not even. Danny Drinkwater with one limb. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, to, and to give you like a concrete example of what I mean, maybe I, what Red Bull Leipzig or RB Leipzig is doing, something like that, but with with more of a direct plan of getting from RB Leipzig to Dortmund to Bayern kind of thing. Like you need a quick, yeah. a slightly quicker transition. You can't be always banking on the 20-year-old. And and unfortunately, at the end of the day, that's going to need funding. And, and I just don't know that our current board and current manager have so much foresight to to make this plan come up so yeah you know i i, I know bayern you know they are struggling a little dortmund's been dropping points like crazy in the bundesliga for those of you that don't keep up with it but you know bayern are still a little bit behind in the race and and the going into last season julian nagelsman was supposed to be like he's hoffenheim's coach was supposed to be you know the rightful heir to the bayern throne right and Bayern mm-hmm. wound up not even going for him, and they went a different route. He's still on the market. He had a great season last year. He's he's proved that he could work with young talent. I mean, just who's a who's the guy from Arsenal that went over there? Reese Nelson, and and, and yeah. he's playing he's playing really well. He's smashing in goals. He works well with English talent. He works well with young talent in general. He could establish a culture that's that plays positive football, energetic football, something that would be synonymous with Chelsea. Yeah, but so, somebody beat you to it. Leipzig already has his signature for next season. Oh, and do that's they? the kind of yeah, and that's the kind of foresight oh. I'm saying that our yeah. team is lacking. So yeah, yeah, Nagelsmann was supposed to go to Bayern, or that was like the, what was rumored, and then I think like a couple months, or not even a couple months, like right before the season started, Nagelsmann like and both teams came out and said that at the end of his contract he was going to Leipzig. So. Yeah. But that is the kind of manager you want, somebody that yeah, can do- can bring that in. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you definitely, you you definitely want someone that could just kind of rile up the troops. You never really got that from Sorry from day one, though, right? Mm-hmm. I never got the vibe from Maurizio Sorry that he was a manager that was 
to steal a quote that's used you know, alongside Jose Mourinho's name, you'd run through a brick wall for him, right? Like, like, like you'll go to war, you'll bleed, you'll you'll sacrifice your mind and your body for that manager. You'll do whatever it takes to get a result. You just don't get that from Mourinho. Sorry, from him you get the kind of okay, here's my system. You guys play it. If you do it right, you'll win. If not, we'll see what happens. And then usually what happens is the same players start the following match. But it's it's it, it's a matter of identifying the right personality for the club. And I feel like that's where Chelsea is having problems with with their last few managerial appointments. Antonio Conte, brilliant manager. I have absolutely nothing against the man. But it was the wrong manager for Chelsea because – he has demands. He's a demanding manager. He knows what he wants, and he proved it when he came here. He wanted guys like Vidal. He wanted to bring in Pjanic. He wanted Alexandro. Yes, they're all. They were all Juve players at the time, or former Juve players, whatever. But he knows the type of player that he needs. I mean, he was even after Iguain at one point. And last season, he wanted Jeco, but we got him Olivier Giroud. You know, a guy that knows what he wants, that could get the most out of the players that he wants. Whereas Maurizio Sarri. Oh, I'm not that big of a fan of the transfer window. I'm more of a coach. I like to work with the players I have. Well, Maurizio, you've had how long now? About eight <laughs> months with the same group of players, and you really haven't improved anybody. I feel like the only player that might have improved under Maurizio Sarri, I mean statistics-wise, you have Hazard, but that's really only through the first, what, four months of the season? But then you got guys like David Luiz who didn't necessarily improve, but have just like found some sort of form along the way. So it's just a matter of identifying that right personality. Who the right personality is, I don't have the answer, and you don't have the answer, but maybe a director of football will have the answer. But, oh, wait, we don't have one. <laughs> we haven't had one for a year and a half. It's just like – it's just one giant clusterfuck, right? Like it's, 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 <laughs> it's almost like when you were playing with Play-Doh as a kid – and you would be playing with like your friend or your cousin or your brother or whatever and you're playing with one color and they just take like a little piece of like two different colors and mix it all together and it just and they think it's going to turn into this beautiful rainbow you know beautiful rainbow color with like oh you know all this nice tie-dye looking thing and it just turns out to like this gray blob <laughs> and, and that's exactly where Chelsea is right now. We're just kind of like this gray blob of Play-Doh where we're just so predictable. We're not we're not nice to look at. We're not fun to watch. We're not scoring goals. We're leaking at the back. Players are pissed off. Fans are pissed off. The board is MIA. I mean, it's just it's just an absolute disaster. Yeah, and that's a, that's a around. great that's a great metaphor to kind of I'm kind of proud of myself. Yeah, you know, that's a great metaphor to kind of end our our planning on on what Chelsea should do cuz yeah, you're right. Right now we're we're yeah, a ball of gray play-doh created by different colors, but um surprisingly enough, as much of a disaster as bouncing out of the FA Cup is, we're still in the Europa League. So we are still in a European competition that could help us get into the Champions League. And we have Malmo on Thursday. So let's kind of run by it pretty quick because there's really not much to say. That I don't, Again, I don't think either of us expect much changes. But uh, any kind of quick score prediction and uh, kind of a random uh, kind of a, yeah, prediction? I think it's going to be ugly. I think the only way we get a goal in this match is off of a uh, off a set piece. I, I think we're going to scrap like – like I, I think Malmo is going to put us on our heels – for 
a significant amount of the game, but we're going to wind up scraping out a goal, and then from there the, the tie will effectively be over because they're going to need three to beat us, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think it'll be scrappy, and my, I guess, quote-unquote prediction is that Sari will still be our manager on Thursday. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what else to say because, I mean, I would have loved for Cho to – Cho should start Thursday. I guess I'll put that out there. Amidst all of the craziness, I think Cho needs to start at this point. This is the last time I'm going to beg Sari to do it because there's no other reason for it. But, yeah, those will be my two predictions, that Sari is still the manager and that Cho will start. Um, but let's get to the big, big game. A pro- potentially another big <laughs> showdown for disappointment. We have Man City Sunday for the EFL Carabao Cup final. And original OG <laughs> Roman Empire Ultra Chelsea Eric asked us, how much do you guys think City are going to win by? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's just hope it's not six, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that that's pretty much all we could say at this point in time. Look, it's a cup final, so I know we're going to go out there and we're going to compete. Um, and, and to say or to assume that we're not going to compete, I think is, is, is very misguided because I think if we have competed in any competitions thus far, it has been in the cup competitions. And, you know, yes, we did lose today 2-0. And yes, we did seem to kind of or I don't think the players necessarily threw in a towel. I think it was more of the manager today, but the players were out there and, and, and we started that game today looking decent. So I think we're going to start the Man City game in a very similar fashion. I think we're going to go out there. We're going to, you know, we might threaten them for, for a period of time in the match, but I just think they're way too good for us still. I think they're everything that we want to be at this point. And uh, I, I, I think it's going to be bad. I mean, if I give a score prediction, it's going to be Man City by at least two goals or more, in my opinion. Oh, man. I, I Yeah, I, I, my optimistic side wants to say, okay, you're the manager of the Chelsea team. You have two matches with City in your books this season with the exact group of players, bar Iguain instead of having to play a false nine. You had a plan in game number one where you did it you did it before that game you were saying oh i can't beat pep i've never beat pep so i don't know what to say and you did it you beat him then you have game number two where you now said i need to execute my plan a i need to execute my plan a i need to see my football and you got stomped so my optimistic side says let's look back at that game in early december and see what we did right and maybe just maybe we decide that, okay, we can't go punch to punch with City. Let's play counterattacking. And maybe we can squeak a result. Again, you said it. It's the Cups. The players obviously like silverware. They showed some heart today. Maybe they will Sunday. But then it's sorry. We know he's stubborn. So there's a potential that he doesn't do that. So I, I want to be optimistic. I want to. Like, I really want us to win. Can we do it? If we if we take if we look in the mirror and say we are not better than City, we can't do we can't bring the game to them. We need to let them bring it to us and react. I think we can get the result. So I'll have a two-sided prediction. If we play defensively and counterattack, I say we can squeak by and win. If we try to go toe-to-toe, it's gonna get ugly. Which means it's probably gonna get ugly. 
<laughs> I mean, yes. like, like, like uh, it's funny because the first match against City, sorry, pretty much said like I didn't see my I didn't see my football being played, but we won and you know we fought and and, and the players showed a great attitude and this and that. I don't think I personally don't think sorry knew much about the tactics uh, during the game. I just think it was one of those things where oh god, what the fuck is N'Golo doing sitting back a little bit deeper? Oh wait, we nicked the goal. Okay, let's ride this one out. Maybe we could get – oh, we got another one. Wow, who knew that this team could sit back, stay compact defensively, and hit teams on the counter effectively? What? Crazy thought. Uh, we only won two Premier League titles in the last, what, four years doing that? So, yeah, crazy thought. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I think sorry's going to go toe-to-toe. I just think it's that simple. But I think the real question here is if we do win that game, if we do, by the grace of God, win that game, is it going to happen – from the PK spot, or is it going to happen in regular time? Is it going to happen in extra time? I think that's the real question. Yeah, I, I, I don't who have knows? any more answers. <laughs> who, who knows? Yeah, I, I yeah. really have run out, run out of, of answers, but yeah. Oh, God. So whoever's listening, make sure to tweet at us if you have answers, because uh, me and Andres don't at this point in time. We're... Uh, if anyone has answers, please send them our way because we we need yeah, some. God. We need some sort of vision for for what's going on this season. It's it's crazy. I just Newman knew me footy on Twitter. I'll end it with this. Just kind of posted this evening what Chelsea's 2019 record against the Big Six has been, and it's just like, good lord, somebody save us. We lost to Spurs one nil. We lost to Arsenal two nil. We beat Spurs two one. Lost to City 6-0. Lost to United 2-0. So tally those games up, which is five games. We've scored twice. We've gotten scored on 12 times. So yeah, you do the math. Something needs to change. We don't know where to look. So if if you guys out there have opinions, please send them our way. We want to see if anybody can can turn our frowns upside down with something that might be uh, realistic. Yes. I think that's a great place to end this week's podcast. So, again, if you do take uh, Andres's advice and you do want to hit us up and you do have answers, let us know. At Romans Empire Pod uh, is our Twitter handle, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. You can email us there as well. Uh, we, I try to respond to as many interactions as possible. I'm the one that runs the Twitter account. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, just tweet at us and, and uh, we'll do our best to get back at you. Also, uh, Andres, if you want to take this opportunity, you could plug in your your new YouTube channel, um, yeah, so, so our fans could get in touch. I've been on a bit of hiatus, but this week I will be posting a video again. The YouTube channel is Star Spangled Blues, a Chelsea channel on YouTube. If you guys have me on Twitter, you'll be able to get the links there. But yeah, if you guys have an idea of what you want to see on the videos, let me know. Uh, I plan on doing a. I'll be at. Um, the BBC in Dallas for the EFL Cup final. So I'll be doing a couple of live reactions, a couple of in, uh, post-game interviews with some fans. So it'll be a little bit more dynamic than the usual match review. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Maybe uh, maybe our listeners should check that out. Um, but yes, anyways, I mean, that wraps up today's show. Again, not very formatted because, let's be honest, the club really doesn't have that much of a format, and we felt that we needed to go with the theme of Chelsea, which is basically what our podcast is all about. So 
Um, again, reach out to us if you guys have any questions, concerns, if you want us to talk about anything. The interaction we've been getting is amazing. Um, and yeah, until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.